You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. port of call in a sea of chaos, warfare, and political turmoil. The Hong Kong Free Enterprise Zone is a land of contradictions. It is one of the most successful centers of business in the sixth world and home to one of the world's most dangerous sprawl sites. A land of bright lights, gleaming towers, and restless spirits where life is cheap and everything is for sale. The lure of a quick payday draws you from Seattle into the neon glow of Victoria Harbor, and into the corporate conspiracy nearly 30 years in the making. A terrifying threat looms on the horizon, a supernatural force that corrupts and consumes everything it touches. Dragged into the shadows of Kunlun City, you'll need to forge new connections and gain face to survive. That, from developer Hairbrand Schemes, was decided to use Kickstarter to once again fund a new Shadowrun game. This one set in Hong Kong. Fans voted that this is where they wanted the next setting to be, and Hairbrain Schemes listened. The year is 2056. There are warring factions of triads, tongs, and gangs. And if that's not enough, there's a rule of social status, Guangxi, to contend with. Welcome to a world where magic and cyberpunk collide. Where there are orc street shamans and former red samurai. Each with their own backstory, which we are helping to fund. Hairbrain Schemes has said that for this project, they were able to fund much of the game. However, as is often the case, they had visions of what could be possible in this setting and so turned to Kickstarter for help and help they received almost immediately. They set a 100,000 goal and within a day had topped 400,000. They've since added a number of stretch goals such as enhanced player controls, animatic scene transitions, as well as side missions for Gobbit and Isabel. All that remains of the original stretch goals are Expanded Magic, Gaichu Side Mission, and Revamped Matrix. And with 29 days left to go as of this recording, I've no doubt they'll reach his goals. I've all but decided on the Shadowrun tier, which will grant me prior Shadowrun games, as well as an additional copy of Hong Kong, not to mention the brand new source book for the Hong Kong campaign, which the three of us could run during an episode or more the lore joe did you decide on which tier you're going to get yet honestly i'm going for the uh probably just the shadow runner i think that's what i'm going to go for i think it's as high as i can go that's the one that has the um does that one have an extra copy of the game or the uh that is the the complete collection so it's got the shadow run returns and dragonfall which i'll be able to gift to somebody since i already own them right uh and two copies of the shadow run hong kong uh, as well as the source book, right? That yeah, one of the prior source books, right? Um, yeah, no, because... it's the new source book. Okay, hold on. Which one did you say you're getting? The Shadowrunner. Shadow yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the one that I was saying. The Shadowrunner one. That's the one. Yeah, that seventy-five bucks. That's as, that's as high as I can go, and I'm going to gladly fork it over. Yeah, the other one looks good as well, though it's a pretty like you're doubling from that point at one fifty. You get that really nice um, bag, which. 
the synthetic leather. To buy me those messenger bags, I want the bag. (laughs) But 150 bucks is just too much for it for me. Which one are you getting, Vince? I I haven't decided yet because I have the original Shadow of Returns, but I haven't played uh, the expansion yet, Dragonfall. So I don't know. I'll I'll be in there somewhere. (laughs) Okay. All right. I I am looking forward to it. It's it was interesting watching the videos for this, especially and seeing. Um, what's important to us, how much importance they put on stories and how like they, they've got a dedicated writing staff, which is nice because, again, a lot of these games, especially this type of game as well, too, they don't always bring in a writing staff. Well, I shouldn't say that they don't have a dedicated writing staff. They just kind of bring in some people or, or you know, get Bob, who designs rocks, to come up with a, a plot. So it's nice to know that they're really dedicated to the story here and, and then – how that influences then the the setting, the characters, and all that, and you gotta love again. It's a cyberpunk, Tolkien esque base, futuristic kind of thing. It's like you know, it's hidden on all cylinders for me. So I, I'm just so excited about it. Oh, me too. This is actually one of my favorite RPG settings of all time. Uh, I've been playing since mid '90s, all the way up through to the last pr- printed production books. Uh, it's you're right. It hits on every cylinder, whether it's the cyberpunk aspect of having somebody who can hack into anything into weird virtual reality, working alongside a shaman who can summon spirits of the ancestors to do cool things like frost over an entire zone, or the fact that there are samurais walking around now that are the classic samurais with cybernetic augments. Uh, one of my favorite characters that I played for years was called the Iron Samurai because after taking way too many grenades, much more cybernetic than humanoid. Uh, still absolutely amazing. Uh, so, how much do you guys know about the setting in general besides what you've seen from the game? Me, not so much. Like I, Back in the day, like I actually played the old Sega Genesis game for Shadowrun, and that was my first introduction. I never played much of the tabletop stuff, but it's just such a cool setting. You can't help but at least be interested, like flipping through the books and you know, seeing, at the time, the awesome 80s cyberpunk artwork. You mean so, like that like, classic mechanical keyboard strapped to the back? Yeah, yeah that video I sent you the other day. Like, it's just it, – it's such a, an iconic – visual setting and it's the more i read into it the more i've learned about it through playing uh shadowrun returns and and stuff it's the what they've done with the setting with the melding of the tech and the magic and really tying the world together through all the the game mechanics it's it's a fascinating setting that i i definitely want to spend more time with yeah it is the it is the predecessor for the sci fantasy setting uh, it comes after such books like Ariel. I don't know if Roger may have read that one way back when, uh, and takes it just a step further. Like a cataclysmic event forces basically evolution in the entirety of the world, uh, resulting in chaos and corporations stepping in. What's really kind of interesting about this, uh, in particular this Kickstarter, is the choice of Hong Kong. And the reason I say that is because the game itself starts in 2015, way, way, way back when, and the far-flung future of 2015 is what they wrote about. So we're currently living in the start times of those. Um, that's when Hong Kong, during the, the sort of grand scheme of things, declares independence uh, and sets itself up as a the, the free corporation, the free enterprise zone. But what we have here is the game itself, the new game, is going to take place in 2056. 
This is important for a couple different reasons. We'll get into it when we talk about characters, too. But in 2057, there is a huge game-altering event that occurs that actually shapes the narrative of all the games to come, all the books and publications that were released, as well as many of the campaign settings. Because corporations hold such a, a big influence on the world, and all of it starts from here in Hong Kong, which is really, really nifty. So I think the timing is a really interesting choice, and I'm really happy that players chose Hong Kong just because it's so important to Shadowrun as a whole. You think most of the technology is coming out of this area. Uh, You figure at this time frame, North America is completely gone. It's basically been turned over to the shamanistic society of the Native Americans. The only holdout of the classic culture is basically Seattle, uh, and that's pretty much it. And everything else is in Japan and China. How's Canada faring? Canada, Canada went back to the Native Americans. Okay, I'm cool with that. So all of all of the U.S., all of North America, period, aside from Seattle, has been turned over to the shamans because the shamans rose to power. And as soon as the magic started coming back into the world, all of a sudden they were able to start summoning all their ancestors. There were new war dances. There were new spiritual armies. Like that scene of at the end of Lord of the Rings with uh, Return of the King where that ghost army comes out. Think of that with just a bunch of angry Indians. Okay, so us white folks, we didn't fare so well is what you're saying? No, you. Everybody got pushed. Yeah, we kind of had it coming. Oh, yeah. I didn't do anything bad to them. <laughs> hey, the first the first people had to take care of their own. But it's 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 a very interesting uh, push because everything from that time, even though this is a Western game, pushes hard on that Eastern culture because that's where the street samurais come from. That's where the brutes come from. Uh, the shamanistic spells and things like of that nature tend to be more sort of almost. I don't want to say Taoist, but a lot of the philosophies from the original books were very Taoist in the the worshiping of the ancestors and, and sort of spiritual balance. Uh, combine that with nanotechnology. So the reason that I said that this is going to be important to note the time frame is one of the characters, one of the main characters that you're going to get a hold of, uh, which is your security specialist. And I'm jumping a little bit, but it's Duncan Wu. Duncan Wu is, uh, they describe him as a veteran security expert with years of sprawl site combat experience. He has the muscle and weaponry to either beat his targets into submission or break them outright depending on the demands of the situation. He's basically an orc beat stick. Why is this important? In 2057, the Wu family founds basically Wu Zing Inc. and receives a number of valuable bequests of the will of the late dragon Dunkel Zahn. Basically, one of the dragon emperors wills the Wu family a ton of money. And that sets forth everything from the reprint to the current editions that are out there. We're playing in the time that leads up to that. That is hugely important, which means we're getting to fill in gaps that have never been touched on the tabletop RPG. And that is amazing. Where are you getting all of this from? My books? No, no, the, yeah. So, <laughs> hey, don't be a smartass. I'm asking. So, if it, it's it's a, all from the books a, or from source books as well, kind of thing from the source books that were physically printed there was a reprint in 2004 when they modernized it to the d20 system right and that's when 2057 takes over okay so i actually dug out my books for that for this one i am really looking forward to getting my hands on the source book as well because like we've been talking and that's something we'll let folks know as well we're going to be doing some some D stuff coming up soon and some features and some stuff like that and having a lot of fun and so when i was reading about this the idea of us doing some of these as well in addition to the D stuff that vince is putting forward like do some of this stuff from the new source book when it eventually does come out. That sounds like that would be so much friggin' fun. 
oh, I'd be down for it. In a yeah, heartbeat. absolutely. Like I would drop whatever I was doing. I'd call in sick to work and I would show up for that game. Yeah, uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. I'd have to go find my awesome 80 sunglasses, though. I have those in the car. I'll send you a pair. All right. So why it, am I not surprised? What other characters are important here? So the other one is going to be uh, the Rat Shaman Gobe, uh, mostly because you don't see a lot of shamans to the god Rat. Uh, basically think of Street Urchin. Uh, so it's sort of like the patron god of street runners, which are like the roguish type people. So you don't see a whole lot of that. And it's very interesting because that totem devotion is a lot of sneaking, stealth, and information gathering. Combine that with the Duncan Wu placement, and you have yourself a very interesting vehicle. Because if those two are in party together, in playing well with each other, which are both are half-orcs, if I remember, or full-orcs, I can't remember which, uh, because they're both of the same race, same Geno, it's going to be very interesting to see if Gobe is actually part of the help that pushes Duncan Wu into that position where the Wu family pulls that money in or if it was part of the agency that worked against the Wu family. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out because it is total potential to be a double agent, so to speak, because Rat is sort of like – think of Loki would be the best way to put it. It's a double-faced god. Okay. So that was the other one. Uh, of the other ones, everything is, doesn't seem like it's going to be, I, I don't want to say overly important, but they're you're sort of your staple characters. Right. So your deckers are your hackers. They're the ones that can get into everything. They are the ones that they have sort of kind of training in combat, but they're like sort of spell slingers of the, of the digital age. Uh, it's really interesting to see them work because they can fight in a VR which they're the only class that has the capability of doing that. I'm very, I'm going to be very interested to see if they integrate that further into this game than they have touched on. Cause I don't remember if my Decker really did anything important in dagger. Yeah. I remember in shadow run returns, it was almost worthless to create a Decker. Yeah. Like if, if you needed one, the game would provide you with one. Other than that, it was at least more effective in game to avoid it. Which is why this is interesting to me that there's a playable character, so to speak, uh, a character that you can have in your party because I want them to be more involved with it because Deckers have probably the most powerful potential in the Shadowrun universe and sort of to have them downplayed and sort of – I don't want to say glossed over but sort of kind of given as a a tertiary thing in the first games were disappointing. They can hack AI. They can hack biogenetic uh, sort of – cybernetic people deckers can actually hack your ai built into your limbs if they're that good and they can shut you down i'd love to see something like that come out into this game this one's already got her side missions going to be coming out so that should be interesting as well to see what they pull off with that absolutely okay and then there's a rigor as well i see yeah that's your kind of like your jack of all trades your engineer so while the the Decker is the software sort of person. This is your MacGyver on crack. This is the person that knows everything about everything mechanical and can put it back together, break it down, or get you through things that you probably shouldn't get through. Like mechanical locks are still a big problem in this day and age uh, simply because people forget they rely so heavily on magic or cybernetic magic that they forget how to interact with them or interface with them. So having a rigor with you that is worth his salt is very important. Uh, a good rigger can also hold a party hostage, depending on what they want to do. Because if you need repairs for your cybernetics, you're going to a rigger. If you need a cybernetic replacement together, you're looking for a rigger. This is your medic, your mechanic. This is your all-in-one. 
And then lastly, we're seeing the former Red Samurai. And they kind of made a big deal about this one too because they made it as one of the stretch goals as well. And uh, we're going to be getting his side mission as well too. So is this a, a regular class that was in the old ones? So there are two particular classes of Samurai. There are the current Samurai, which were licensed assassins slash warriors for the various corporations. These are ones that are still in good good in bearing with the families, have good reputations, and go on actual missions. They have a license to carry a lot of illegal tech uh, or things that would be considered illegal. I know it's kind of a stretch in sort of this this futuristic society, but think of like nano vaporizers and things like that that they shouldn't have. They could actually theoretically have, since the corporations control a lot of the world, they get that sort of that license to kill. A former samurai is kind of important because that's a disgraced samurai traditionally. I don't know if they're going to go that same route with here, but it seems like they're going to. Um, it, these are the ones that have lost their honor or fallen out of favor with their uh, their patron corporation and are either trying to gain favor with another corporation and patronage or are out on their own trying to survive. But the problem with that is if they're a former samurai that is not seeking patronage of another one they have a huge bullseye and usually a huge bounty on their head where other corporations are trying to take them out because you have to imagine these are the private elite forces of the corporations when one leaves a company what are they probably taking with them Hmm. lots of secrets cool yeah they've got a an excellent cast like when you're reading up on the characters, I'm really glad that it is being funded as fast as it is because that means that we are going to be able to see the side missions for these and get more of the backstories. Well, I mean, they're what, 560000 out of their $100,000 goal with 28 days left to go? Yeah, so there's still a ton of time. That's what I was saying. I'm, I'm quite certain they'll get to the, the final stretch goals. I'm actually fairly interested to see whether or not they continue with more stretch goals. Like we've seen other games like Hex when they did that, and they just kept having to add more stretch goals because they kept <laughs> going so far. So it'll be interesting to see if these guys go that route because I would love to see even more shoved into this. Well, the most important one to, to see if we get to have it funding is the $700,000 mark. If this game can get up there and they have to completely revamp the Matrix, congratulations. That is almost a surefire guarantee that Deckers aren't going to suck. Okay, explain. So the Matrix is the world sort of interconnectivity, right? So I try to think of how to phrase this. Everybody has the ability to go and kind of go onto a global wireless network, whether it's through an implant into their brain or whether it's through their deck. Uh, there's tons of different ways that you can interface. This is sort of like, did you ever, did you see the concept from the movie Lucy where like she can see like the digital signals? Yeah. That's kind of like the matrix. It's the system that connects everything. It is the internet. It is the privatized corporations, internal networks. It is what comprises everything. The beefier that is, the more robust that is, the more a Decker can do. As they hack through the different levels of security, they can manipulate things. They can manipulate Simple things like you get a phone call from somebody and they can simulate their voice. They could hack into a bank network. They could hack into a corporation network. They could bring global destruction if they're that good. I mean, it hasn't really happened. But if a hacker gets into the right place or a decker gets into the right place, they could bring society crashing down. That's how important the Matrix is. And the beefier that is for this game, that means the more involved items for a decker there are. And that I want that very badly. All right. Any parting thoughts, both of you? Joe? Give me now. <laughs> Vince? 
don't have much to add on top of that, but yeah, I'm really excited and I'm going to have to go back and uh, play the uh, Dragonfall now because I've, I've kind of got that itch. <laughs> I actually reinstalled it as well, so I'm going to go through both of them. I'm, it's, it's too bad because I'm going to be getting both licenses because of the <laughs> tier, but I'm already going to be playing them anyways. Okay, let's move on to another one here. Now, this was interesting because it's a new studio. It's Artcraft Entertainment. Now, it's actually got as its founders a couple of pretty heavy hitters here. We've got a couple of guys that have worked on Ultima Online, Star Wars Galaxy, Star Wars The Old Republic, Shadowbane, and more. They're working on a new MMO, which they are terming a next-generation MMO. Now, whether that's true or not, who knows? We especially don't know at this point because they're being very coy with how they're releasing information for this. And whether that is going to work to their advantage or not, kind of hard to tell. But so far, they've gotten a pretty good response from folks who are curious and want to essentially solve these puzzles. Now, what Todd Coleman, the CEO and game director, has said is between now and late February, when all the details of the games will be revealed, we're going to be playing a game of rampant speculation, which I love. (laughs) We'll be dropping hints, screenshots, images, videos, storylines, painting a picture in broad strokes. We'll see how long it takes our fans to figure out what it means and how it works. So what we have here is a company that is releasing information and then saying, what do you think this means? And just kind of having fun with it. Now, Gordon Walton. Or parsing people's responses and going, man, we, that's how we need yeah, to do exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. Trust me. <laughs> I mean, they're learning from other people's mistakes. Yeah. Now, the president and executive producer said, Crowfall isn't a game for everyone. It's for players who are looking for more immersive and visceral experience. The early response was fantastic, but we still expect to build this community one player at a time, blah, blah, blah. Again, they're using a lot of the keywords. I should say the the next-gen keywords of what both we and developers know a next-gen should be what it should be, and yet what we still haven't gotten because there are very few MMOs that are coming out despite slopping that next-gen title in that actually are innovating or creating anything new. They're basically improving on... And let's be honest, the WoW formula for the most part. So here, we really don't know a whole hell of a lot yet about it. We've seen some screenshots that show some fairly interesting things. I love the style because hyper-realism doesn't always work. Especially, we've seen it, like, Elder Scrolls Online looked great at points, but then it still didn't feel the same and didn't feel quite right. Wildstar, I thought was phenomenal. I love that art stuff, but not everybody likes that. So there's that kind of in between here. And some people, this has been getting a fairly good response from people that like the art style that's that they're using for Crowfall. Again, they've only released a couple of screenshots. Some of it is showing how they proceed on character creation from concept, which is interesting. And then some of it is the 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 one most interesting picture is, of course, that character creation where they're showing one character and you really get a, a pretty good idea of the style, which to me, I'm not going to lie. You know what it looks like? It looks like freaking Disney Infinity. Mm-hmm. A little it, bit, it, right? It's simple, but with exaggerated features, but it's a style that looks great in motion. So, so yeah, one would assume this is going to 
be fun to play. We Again, we really don't know a lot about that. They obviously have a lot of different characters to choose from, whether it's going to be a... Um, you're going to have any options for during that character creation of what you want them to look like, or you're stuck with, I, I say stuck, but you know what I mean? You have just that baseline character because look at them all. Jesus. And, and what we're seeing here, it's, it's gotta be no coincidence that the sword is covering up the face of that weird little frog. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> well, there's a freaking elk there in the bottom corner, unless that's somebody's snack, that weird white haired chick snack. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, you're looking at probably about 24 characters that you'll be able to choose from there. And obviously a crap load of different stats that we'll be able to choose from. Well, I'm assuming choose from because it says you have creation points that you can use. So I don't know if we're going to have a certain amount of say in terms of how much strength and spirit and whatever we want to put in and how that then affects the statistics, which I love that there's hunger resistance. The fuck does that mean? <laughs> it means you don't starve. I know what it means, but I mean, how, what does it mean in terms of the game? So I don't know. It's, it's again, they're being coy and it is working. I like, I love the look of it. I love the style of it. It's not like they said they're not relying on the old squirrels and parchment paper kind of thing, but a, a more modernized look to it, even though it is a clearly an old style of RPG. They have a variety of characters to choose from by the look of it, even just the top half, right down to different races, obviously, and animals as well. And what appears like an old god, the old bearded dude in the corner, that's going to be me in a few years. But, uh, but yeah, I... I'm digging what I'm seeing so far, and I certainly want to see more. Cautiously optimistic would be the best way that I'm I'm gonna phrase it out. I like games that are have the RPG elements that let you build your character, but I've seen some that have done it really poorly, and I'm really hoping that this will not fall into the, sort of that that same group. I like the idea of being able to maybe have a warrior that's a little smarter, uh, or can do a little bit more than just beat things with a stick. Uh, that would be very cool in my book. But everything I'm seeing so far, the art style, uh, the way that they're teasing the information, this looks like something that I'm going to keep on my radar and kind of wait with bated breath for February. And I'll, if it's good, I'll claim it as my birthday gift from the company. <laughs> See, I, I love their marketing strategy. We've seen this, especially with MMOs, where we are just teased to death with information. It's like, oh, here's another little screenshot. Oh, here, here's a description of an NPC. Oh, here's a flyover of a city. And it goes on for months and years in some cases. So I appreciate that they're kind of setting an end date on the teasers and going, okay, you know, this is when we're officially announcing it. If you want to participate in the fun before then, you can join us along the ride, but we're not going to stretch this out for months on end. Yeah. The other thing too, which is like, uh, um, what Raid was saying in the, in the chat, there's something that I had read as well too. There's quite a bit of chatter about the, the influence of PVP or the importance, I should say, of PVP in here. And that could be something that actually at this point here, I, I'm not going to say a deal breaker, but that would not impress me as much. It, it used to be not that many years ago where if I made a character, it had to be on a PVP realm. Now I can't be bothered. 
I will PVP when I want to PVP. Develop a system that has separate PVP that you can queue for. When I'm questing, I don't want to be ganked by some 12-year-old that feels like it makes him a big man to stab me once from the back. I want to be able to enjoy the stories. That's what's important to me. So if there is too much importance put put on the PVP aspect, that could really hold it back for me. Indeed. Okay. Let's move on to just one other announcement that was made last week too that was... I, I kind of wish he would have said even more, and that's because I'm still interested in Wallstar. I still have my subscription to it. I still bounce in, not every day, but I still bounce in quite a while. Although I will say that because that game leaks players like a freaking sieve, our guild, which was so much fun to just bounce in and chat with and do runs with, is down to next to nothing now, which is, again, so utterly disappointing. But I still enjoy the game. And so Mike Dantelli wrote a post about the status of the game and what to expect in um, 2015. He is the pro- product uh, director. And so he was talking about how now the they, they've gone from being a company working on an MMO to one that has a, to being a live studio. And having followed the news about this game for quite some time, well, since before it released, it's... It still is frightening for me because I know for a fact that they dropped a whole bunch of their staff. Now, they Mm -hmm. were already having problems with quality control when they were doing their monthly updates. And they was full of bugs because they didn't, the quality assurance team didn't have enough time testing out all of the releases. So then they said, okay, we're going to make it every three months instead. You'll still get, you know, four releases a year, drops a year. But we have to space it out. But then they let go of 160 some odd people. And it wasn't a big studio to begin with. Now, granted, you're going to need less staff once the game is out. Certainly. But that was a huge amount that they lost because they weren't making nearly as much money as they thought they would. And so they spread it out. Plus, they have less staff. So the problem still persists of having enough quality content come out on a regular basis. So well, and they lost some of their big players too, like frost. Like yeah. he was, he was not a, a light loss. That was a big deal. Yeah. Well, not just him. They lost a lot of people, a lot of people. So the, the thing that they've been saying, and they've been saying this for a while too, that they are listening to their players and they want to give them more of what they know they want. They're watching the metrics of what people are actually doing while they're in the game and so they want to give them something that they will will enjoy. They want to make the game a lot less grindy, which in this day and age, unless you are a South Korean developer where they actually like grinding over there, why would you develop a game with that much grinding? I, I It doesn't make any sense. And I know they were going for the hardcore thing that they pushed so much, and they sure changed their tune on that one when they realized... Most of the players didn't want any of that anymore. We were past that stage. We don't want games like that anymore. We want to have fun. So I I don't know why. But anyways, they are changing their tune and they are going to make it so that it's less grindy and it will be better. They're saying as well that they are making sure that their updates will be for both present and future players in mind to support, and I'm quoting here, a multitude of play styles, durations, group sizes, and levels. 
again, going back to basically they're done with this idea of the hardcore, which, yeah, made for very interesting videos beforehand. But the reality after is people don't want that. And so they want to, again, they're saying how they want to grow the game. They're putting in new ship hands and adventures and dungeons, which is good. They're adding a lot more solo content, which they don't have much choice there because <laughs> it is damn hard to find a group at, a, at times because, again, guilds are nowhere near what they used to be. Like for a while, we would have almost every night two groups running concurrent ship hands or, or dungeons or I should say adventures or dungeons so and, and have no problems with tanks, healers, everybody. And we'd run two at a time, sometimes even three. And now... I'm lucky if there's one other person who logs in at the same time as me. And that includes people that I had set as friends as well. So you have to develop solo content when that's the case. So they're, they're looking at revamping a whole bunch of other systems as well, making it so that the elder game experience is better, which that's once you hit your 50, which they have to do because 50 is, you want to talk about a grind and it's a grind of dailies that are, almost all identical you do them a couple of times and that's it there's there's nothing new and that's bad that's really one of the things i i've never hidden my hatred of dailies and and that's bad another thing that i found it was interesting and when i say interesting it's kind of somewhat sad is again they're 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 making sure to watch player activity and tracking. And one of the statements he made was, for example, many players love the sophistication of Wildstar's, Wildstar's housing system, but some never reach the level where they can test it out. They can try it out. Housing is level 14. Yeah. That means that there are people, lots apparently, dropping before they even reach level 14. That's bad. That is horrible because when the game came out for those first few months, there was a noticeable drop in guilds and in trade chat. You would talk to people and everything else where once a player reached 14, they would stay at 14. They're, they're lost for weeks for <laughs> and doing mm-hmm. nothing but housing. But now when they're looking at their metrics, the people aren't even reaching that. And I was like, holy shit, that is that's bad. I think that has a lot to do with just how much grinding, even at a lower level, getting to 14 takes a lot of time. I mean, for us, it didn't seem like that much because we were playing a lot. (laughs) But but for the average person, like I had people in my guild that were nowhere close to 14, but were struggling to, to get there. And I think that part of the problem that they had was that that beginning user experience was cool in some aspects, but they needed to lower some of that barrier to get people up a little bit quicker to experience things like the dungeons uh, and like the, the adventures and well, like the housing. Yeah. And I know a lot of people that quit because they just couldn't seem to, to get past certain things to get to level 14 to get to the house. And they heard all their friends talking about how, how awesome this is. And they never got to see it. What's disappointing too, is that, and they go on to talk about the difficulty of the dungeons as well. And they're going to be kind of dropping that and they're putting some, lower level quote unquote training dungeons to be able to get people used to the mechanics and all that. It is very difficult. The raids are significantly more difficult, but even dungeons you're wiping quite a bit in order to learn a fight and then progress. But if you're in a good guild where everybody enjoys the challenge and doesn't 
make a big deal out of whether you got silver or bronze or gold kind of thing. Man, it was fun. We had so much fun. We'd be laughing our asses off and mumble and we'd be just wipe. Let's go back and try this mechanic or try something different. You'd eventually figure it out. And they, they hit the nail on the head there because when you would eventually get it, it was a, a, a moment worth cheering. You don't get that very often in a game anymore. And it would just be so much fun. Sadly, once again, because of everything else that's wrong with the game and not being able to retain the, the, the player base, so many people are missing out on that and will never get to experience that, which is, again, too bad. So yeah, they're, they're looking at the Proto Games Academy, which is going to be the training dungeon. They're bringing in another new dungeon for higher levels. They're bringing in some ship hands. Those are significantly... Um, they're, they're, they, they amount for a significant amount of experience when you're leveling, but they're also so much fun. Plus, you can do them solo. Some of the best solo content that I did while I was a game was the ship hand stuff. It's just so much fun. And then they're looking at improving, looking for group, which is going to be good. And then the 40-person raid is going to be dropped down to 20, which, again, that's... I don't understand how anybody developing a new MMO is going to try to do what WoW did in the first yeah, few years and oh, learned better of. You had you had a development team that was a lot of ex Blizzard employees from the vanilla days. So yeah, but you learn. It's right. been years. There, yeah, there's a reason they stopped doing forty man raids, it's, yeah. and it wasn't also, from a design perspective. It's that nobody wants to herd that many fucking cats. No. I, well, I agree. I'm just saying, like, that's just, they're like, wouldn't it be great? Let's go back to the heyday. And yeah. then, no. yeah. yeah, definitely don't it, want that. And the other thing that they're, they're implementing, which is going to be nice, is a contract system. Don't know too much about it, but it sounds kind of like it's going to be kind of like the bounty things that they do on uh, in Swotor, where you just kind of go in, do a contract. You've short, you don't have to be playing for hours, and then you've accomplished something. So that's, uh, they're, they're, there's some good changes coming. The question is whether it's too late for it, especially when you consider that this is not a free-to-play game. You mm-hmm. can earn enough money in-game if you want to be able to buy your monthly subscription. However, because there are so few players playing now, the auction house and the commodities exchange is not what it used to be. You're not making as much money as you used to, which then makes it more difficult to buy your subscription and be able to do things in the game as well with your money. So while still being a sub-base game, I I honestly don't think that this is nearly enough to get not just people back, but new players in. Yeah, just judging by the chatter online, like in the MMO community, everybody's either playing Warcraft Final Fantasy or Guild Wars. Like Wildstar doesn't even rank a mention anymore. So it, I, unfortunately, I adore the game. It's the reasons I stopped playing had nothing to do with the game. It was just I had no impetus to, you know, play any game of that style anymore. So, and it was just I, I wish I could make myself go back because I loved the characters, I loved the world, I loved the gameplay, I, lo- I loved everything about it. And it's sad to see it die such a terrible death. Yeah, yeah, it is too bad. I'm I'm at a point where even though I'm the guild leader in our guild, because nobody else is logging in, 
except for there's one guy that's been logging in. But even then, we rarely ever touch base. I'm almost at the point where I'm ready to say, sorry, I'm just going to be dropping my sub because, again, I'm paying 15 bucks a month and not doing anything with it. So it's too bad. But anyways, we will move on. We're actually going to be playing a feature here from Vince on Dragon Age Inquisition. We talked about it last week, and Vince got a fantastic feature recorded. I'm going to play it for you now. And then when we come back, we're going to tackle Nintendo Direct's video that was released last week that had a crapload of news. And this is going to be fun as well. So hang tight, and we will see you on the flip side. As I mentioned last week, I greatly enjoyed my experience with Dragon Age Inquisition. While the main story certainly had its own high points, in my eyes, much like many Bioware games, its role was more to set up a major threat and unite the various characters. And that's where Inquisition really shines. Inquisition has a fantastic group of companions. It even comes close to Bioware's previous high-water mark, Mass Effect 2. But Inquisition does something special with its companions. It makes them the most realistic group we've seen yet. Inquisition takes companion interaction to a new level beyond choosing the good or bad dialogue options to drive the story in one direction or another. Inquisition's dialogue gives you choices based on your Inquisitor's race and class, as well as building off your larger story decisions to shape how the various companions view and interact with you. Through my first playthrough, one of the biggest examples of this level of interaction came from Iron Bull. Now, Bull is one of the standout characters of Inquisition, and you're likely to enjoy your time with him regardless of how you play your Inquisitor. But as a Canari character, and specifically a Canari mage, my interactions with Bull were incredibly rewarding. Through the first two games, the Canari were portrayed as an oppressive society whose followers aren't even free to have their own names. While that's not necessarily untrue, the experience of having Bull explain the intricacies of the Kunari society to a member of his race who had never lived under the Kuhn gives it a unique perspective. It's not perfect, but what society is. It gives the player a lot to think about. With that single character, Bioware elevated his entire race that had previously been given very little development. Much the same can be said for Dorian, the Tevinter Mage. Much like the Canari, the Tevinter people never received much development beyond evil slaver mages. Hearing Dorian explain it, that's actually fairly accurate. However, much like Bull, seeing things from his point of view and comparing their perceived shortcomings to the social injustices present in Ferelden and Orlais, it blurs the absolute of Tevinter is bad. The society is stuck in its ways, and those at the top are corrupt, but that doesn't make the entire population evil by association. Dorian proves that, and again, a single character elevates the portrayal of an entire people. Additionally, I have seen plenty of talk online about Dorian being an outcast from his family for his sexual orientation, and how powerful that portrayal was for so many people. I can't relate personally, but I absolutely respect it. Dorian really speaks to a number of players on a personal level, and that is something special. 
Now, as much as I've said about these two fantastic characters, their interactions with my Inquisitor are very much based on his background, his story decisions, and how he chose to interact with both of them. As a Kandari, as a mage, and as someone who supports the freedom of mages, I had common ground with these characters that shaped our interactions. It really strikes me as a realistic interpretation of actual relationships. We all know people, co-workers, family members, minor acquaintances, who we talk to and interact with, but never really get to know, because there's no common ground to build a relationship on. Conversely, having that common ground makes it easier to build a strong foundation to a friendship, and makes it easier to open up to each other. Which leads me to a companion that I believe could also be one of the best in the game, though I have no personal evidence to support it. Vivienne. Comparing Vivienne to Dorian, my Inquisitor has the same common ground of being a mage, but with vastly different experiences that shaped our interactions. As I said before, my Inquisitor supported the freedom of mages, which Vivienne was staunchly opposed to. Now, Bull and Sarah were similarly displeased, but that's based more on their personal beliefs. For Viv, freeing the mages is an attack on her way of life, her very being. As a player, I can see her point of view. In Orlesian and Ferelden society, mages are the lowest rung of the social ladder, with no freedoms of their own. However, Vivienne was able to climb the ranks of the mage circle and parlay that standing into a member of the Orlesian court. Sure, many there still don't respect her, but she was the proof that mages could aspire to something more. Now, with the threat of the circles being disbanded, she fears for her lack of identity. I can see how that character could have a great deal of depth. However, my Inquisitor never saw any of that, because the two of them simply did not get along at a fundamental level. I actually found it quite humorous. The way Viv treated me was very similar to the snarky, dismissive way many Bioware protagonists treat characters they disagree with. The shoe was on the other foot, and it was fun to be on the other end of that. However, more than almost anything else, this relationship with Viv motivates me to play through the game a second time in the hope of seeing a hidden side to her character. Similarly, I'm interested to see how things are different with Colin and Cassandra. Fundamentally, two sides of the same coin, I believe the characters come across very differently depending on whether the Inquisition supports the mages or the Templars. Knowing the animosity between the Seekers and the Templars, Cassandra never really gets closure on that front if you side with the mages. Conversely, siding with the mages puts Colin in direct opposition with the men he used to serve. This led to some great scenes of development for him, making him one of my favorites in the game. So again, I'm looking to see the other side of things by forcing Cassandra to work with the Templars instead of against them next time. Now, I'm not saying every character is an incredible triumph. I found Josephine very bland and disappointing, even as a romance. And Blackwall's big secret fell flat and didn't really go anywhere for me. But that's just how characters work sometimes. Different people have different tastes. Personally, I loved Sarah and Cole, while many others feel they were the weakest members of the cast. Solus never really appealed to me, but he was the most important character in the game for some people. That's what truly impresses me about Dragon Age Inquisition. More than simple binary choices, your experience with the world and the characters inhabiting it is shaped by everything you represent. Everything you are, everything you want to be, everything you choose to do, both as a character and as an actual real-life person, shapes your journey and your perception of the experience every step of the way.
last week we got a video from Nintendo Direct telling us what we can expect in the coming year. So this was with, uh, well, it started off with Awada, who talked about a variety of games that are coming out, and then we got some from the North American guys as well. We're going to run through a bunch of the stuff that was announced and then basically give our thoughts on it. Now, again, it's it's different because I don't have a 3DS. <laughs> I want one, but I don't have one. 3DS is the best gaming console but, to own right now. Right. It's just that the 3DS has such a presence in all of the recent, well, for quite a while now, the Nintendo Direct stuff. And they're putting a lot of attention. There is some good stuff coming to the Wii U, some, some stuff that actually looks really interesting. However, I still didn't feel that there was quite enough for the Wii U with this. And also because of the importance of the Amiibos for them and how much money they're making from them, we're seeing a lot more of that. That said, as an adult with no, you know, kids anymore that are the age to really enjoy those, I'm sure my granddaughter will, but the kids certainly don't, doesn't really hold that much of an appeal. So overall, this Nintendo Direct, it certainly did have some stuff that I'm interested for. It got me even more interested in the premise of potentially picking up one of the new 3DS XLs, especially with the new face tracking so that it's not quite as hard on the eyes as well and the better processor. But I've never once played my 3DS in 3D mode. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing. That my, my son doesn't either. So, But let's go over some of the stuff that we saw here. They started off strong right away with Fire Emblem. The video shows a big war battle going on in, in 3D. A bunch of Pegasuses all over the damn sky and some freaking coin quarter face creature and all that. It was interesting the way that they did it because they pulled out of a painting. And it was a nice bl- a nice seam there to because, you know, the, the cinematics never look like the actual game. So I, I like the way that they did that. Of course, it's a regular anime style kind of game and they don't have a title yet for it but they are talking about how it's going to have a, a different people working on it for the story the uh, the character de- designs are by Yusoki that's i believe they said he worked on the other one as well but the story this time around is going to be from Shin Kibayashi ha i did it who is a well-known comic book writer in Japan he writes manga and all that now <laughs> We have a comic book podcast, so I thought, should I know this name? <laughs> and and I wikied him. And no, apparently I shouldn't. <laughs> I don't, had you even heard this guy before? Heard of him? I, as we've said on Comic Book Informer, I'm woefully uh, yeah. underknowledged on Japanese comics. So I thought it was kind of cool that they're putting that much more importance again, story-wise. But not just that, but to bring in a manga writer. I thought that was kind of cool, actually. It made me even more interested in this title. Did yeah. either of you play the first one? No. Joe, you didn't either? Nope. You're awfully nope. quiet. It is actually supposed to be one of the best games on the 3DS as well. It's supposed to be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, my part of my problem, though, is, and I will freely admit this, is I still am holding on desperately to that old Zelda 3DS, and I don't want to upgrade it, which means I have a crappy battery life. <laughs> so a lot, of, a lot of my game time on that one is limited to when I'm home, okay. if at all. Well, I mean, it, it's not that. It's just for me, I'm not a big fan of strategy RPGs in general. So, I mean, I have the same crappy 3DS, but I, I never take it anywhere with me anyway. And I have See, plenty I of time laying those. on the couch to play it. I love strategy RPGs. Absolutely love them. 
Okay, I, I used to, and it's just, I don't know, over the years they've kind of evolved, and I don't know, I, I just can't quite get into them as much as I used to be able to. Why, though? The, is it strictly I, combat? I don't know. Like, I can't quite put my finger on it. It's just that every game has its own little unique system that you have to master in order to, you know, be even remotely proficient at the game, and... I don't know. Sometimes I just want to line my guys up and smack somebody in the face. I just want see, Shining Force. You know, give me a werewolf and then it'll beat this guy. Okay, done. See, because they're talking, especially with this one, how it's going to involve even more choices that are going to have an impact on the game as well, which I really like that. Not just combat choices, of course, but actual conversational choices as well as you're going through the RPG elements. So if, if I do pick one up, I, man, that's right up my alley. From there, there was a lot of talk about puzzles. We got, because Puzzles and Dragons is big there, and so now they've got that coming up, plus a Super Mario Edition one. It's very much like the Puzzle Quest thing, which when it came out, man, I was all over that shit. And I loved it. I played the crap out of it, and I really enjoyed it. But I look at this now, and I don't know if it's just that I'm not nearly as interested, or if it's those game and eh, really not doing so much for me. I played a lot of puzzle and dragons when I first came out on Android and it was fun, but eventually it's just, you know, you're just playing bejeweled. It, that's all it is. Yeah. And then they did, it was funny because I was watching the video and then I'm going, geez, when are we going to get a puzzles and Pokemons? Boom. Pokemon shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a free Pokemon shuffle that's going to be coming out as well with in-game purchases. So, there you go. Answered my question. I would probably play it. It's free. What the hell? And then they were talking about the Wii U and some software updates that are going to allow you to play some different Wii games. They're going to be bringing out Mario Galaxy 2 and Punch-Out! and Metroid Prime Trilogy. Yeah, it's all well and good. Frankly, I would rather have... And, and they're doing a lot more of this. I would rather have new titles on my Wii U than legacy titles brought back it's the same thing as the ocarina time and Majora's mask and they're making a huge deal and yeah it's nice but i want to see a lot more new stuff not just remastering old stuff well, unfortunately that's what we've seen on a nintendo for the last couple of generations 99 percent of the software that's worth playing is made by nintendo and they can only make so many games at least with the the e-shop it's giving them an additional revenue stream to keep afloat well and that you hit the nail right on the head there that's those are big money items for them especially now because when you don't have the games to support i mean you have to cash in on your cash cows right and those are the old titles because nostalgia is a huge motivator yeah uh bill trinan the director of product marketing for nintendo of america stepped up he started talking about kirby and the rainbow curse it looks cute and all but again not i know some people really liked like the brain the the yarn one that came out and things like that and more power to you but it's really not for me myself i i don't know if you guys are interested in that or Kirby's Epic Yarn was actually a whole ton of fun. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was... Go ahead. No, it's like I look at it and all the recent Mario games and Donkey Kong Country Returns and Tropical Freeze and all that. And as fun as the games are and as mechanically flawless as they continue to be, it's also the same games kind of rehashed over and over again. Yeah. And it's it's disappointing. Yeah. So let, let's ask a question then. Let's pose a question to you two. If you could have one type of title that you could see brand new from Nintendo, what would you want? I Anything. 
<laughs> Seriously. Well, like, see, the thing to keep in mind, too, is that they are giving us some new things. I mean, Splatoon is a first-person yeah. shooter kind of game. So it is something that is brand new. They're making a big and deal it, about Xenoblade. That's going to be a fantastic oh, uh, yeah, RPG. I, I'm very interested in that. So there are but that's also not that, from Nintendo. That's one of the odd uh, odd games out that somebody else is actually making. Yeah, but Nintendo's working with them to get it. They were even oh, yeah, saying that because of the... Uh, yeah, so there. So I, I'm sorry, you were saying, is there anything that you would actually want? It, it's just, I look at the Wii U, and yes, the Wii U is not as powerful as the Xbox One or the PS4, but it's a hell of a lot more powerful than the Wii was, and yet almost every game that we're getting for it is a side-scroller. <laughs> like, outside of Mario Kart, like, even Smash Brothers is still a 2D fighting game. Like, I, give me something interesting to do. You've got this touchpad. I want to do something other than draw on it. Like, like when it first came out, we were all astonished by, you know, the... The, the capabilities that we could expect from it. And it's just, it's not gone anywhere. Interesting. The problem with that touchpad is, and this is from tons of hours now playing this. Wii with the, some of the games that we do have is that in theory, it sounds great. And it sounds like you could do a lot of stuff with it. In reality, it is a clunky, controller to hold mm-hmm. for ex- extended periods of time it loses battery power faster than a regular controller would it is it's i keep going back to clunky but holding it in your hands is much more cumbersome depending on what game you're playing and and especially if you're holding it up for any period of time it it, it does get heavy and cumbersome to hold and then the actual touch middle screen if it's only displaying information and you're in a game that allows you the luxury of looking down bonus but a lot of games don't afford you that luxury so you are taking a chance and you're looking down very fast and back up again you're not really using it to the best of what again in theory it should be and if you are actually touching it to do anything or select something either the game has to afford you that time to stop pause do whatever it is you need to do or you're not paying attention you're just clicking quickly kind of thing like there's different things that you can do say in mario kart or in some of the racing other racing games and things like that in in the only time it's done to great effect is in zombie u where going yes. in your backpack is supposed to be frantic. And so, yes, you're looking down and you're like, oh, crap, and trying to do things quickly. And so it works to great effect. But there's so few times when it does. And most games that I've played, that extra screen there is completely useless. And and it, it, the, the controller as a whole just is a, a, like, we're, we're not fighting to see who gets to hold the controller. We're trying to pass off who's going to have to hold the controller. <laughs> no, I don't want to be player one. You be player one. Exactly. So, well, they solved the age old Nintendo problem. Yeah. Everybody wants to be player one before? Not anymore. Yeah. You're so, welcome. Again, though, there's, there's different things that I, I would love to see from, from Nintendo. I would like to see brand new RPGs, new IPs. Don't just keep going back to the Zelda well, or especially bringing back old ones. Something new. You've got writers there. They can come up with something new. Outsource it to somebody else, whatever. Give us some really massive, 
beautifully constructed RPGs. I know we're going to be getting the new Zelda coming out, which sounds like it's going to be hidden on all those, those, those cylinders, but I'd like to see something new as well. Some fresh new IPs that are, are fun. And it'd be, it'd be really cool if they could do that. And the other thing too, is that we've seen with final fantasy as well as with DCU online that you actually can do an MMO online that so long as you modify it enough for consoles versus the PC experience, you can actually do really well. Like the console version of DCU online is pretty friggin' slick. It, there's, well, I mean, there's, there's different problems for sure, but it's still pretty slick. That's where that screen on that controller could actually come in very very useful for a variety of things in an MMO. So give me uh, an MMO and it can be more stylish, cartoonish style like that, like the Splatoon kind of thing, you know, something in that vein, but make it an MMO RPG ish MMO or, or, or any kind well, of thing like that. They Take tried it. that with Dragon Quest 10. It's an MMO for the Wii U. It still hasn't found its way out of Japan two and a half years later. That's the problem. A lot of the games that would make use of that are staying overseas. A great example of a game that would make fantastic use of that is the new Fantasy Star Online that's been overseas for many years now. Give me. I have been – Vince and I have been talking about this for – Since we were recording the podcast previously. (laughs) So you have this wonderful IP, this game that we everybody, I mean, Vince and I love. So I'm going to say everybody loves because damn it. Uh, And it's sitting there. And that's a perfect example of a game that would make wonderful use of that screen and has already the pedigree of being a game capable of being an MMO with a controller. All you have to do is take that out of Japan and shove it over here. That's it. That's all you have to do. Just give me access. They've actually locked it down where you cannot hop across servers via VPN now to trick it into thinking you're in Japan to play. The only other thing that I would say would be interesting to get on on the uh, the Wii U, and this is going to, uh, like, uh, DP King is talking about uh, JRPGs and whatnot. What I would actually like to see is a lot more of the JRPGs that are, that border on um, visual novel kind of things. Mm-hmm. That there would be, you could have fantastically in-depth RPG stories that you then decide the outcomes of it and things like that and could make very good use of that additional screen as well. And, I mean, that's just for the taking. That You'd be able to do such amazing things with that. And it, the, the, the technology to produce those is actually not that big of a deal. And once you've created the engine for it, then it's just a matter of slapping in the images, the few animations, and then the, the writing. I would love to see a ton of those on the, the store. Let's go back to the Nintendo Direct here. So we're moving past Kirby. They did, like I said, a lot of talk about the Amiibos. Tons of talk. We're not so much into the Amiibos, so we'll just kind of move ahead. They did talk about Splatoon more. And I actually was fairly interested in what they said. Not just because, A, I'm really interested in this title. Because I love the four-on-four kind of fighting game like that. And it's going to be more relaxed because it's some cutesy kind of paintball game. But there's also going to be a a single-player mode, which was surprising. I actually didn't know they were going to do that. 
Also, once they started talking off and showing that there's the whole plaza area that you can go in and interact and the inch, the the equipment can be purchased with in-game currencies. The equipment and the weapons are all going to have different stats, and that's how you can mess around with what you want your character's stats to be. I didn't even know your characters were going to have stats. You know what this is? This is a freaking cute destiny is what this is. <laughs> like, I mean, it's got all the same kind of mechanics as destiny. And I was thinking, bring it, bring it. This, <laughs> this is going to be freaking awesome. I I just hope it catches on because yeah, everything that we've seen is something that to me goes, okay, that's going to be so much fun. It's going to be ridiculously great. But I mean, there's also kind of a reason Nintendo only releases Zelda and Mario and Donkey Kong games anymore because nothing else sells. Like they're caught in a catch 22. We want them to do new stuff, but every time they do something new, nobody buys it. Wow. Then they went on to talk about high rule warriors and, I really haven't Tingle. played it. I want to play Tingle. I, I'm not even playing the game. So frankly, this the fact that they're adding a Majora's Mass pack meant nothing to me because I, I'm i not interested in the game. I, uh, Joe, have you even tried this? Nope, not even close. Like I yeah. wanted to at first, but it's like when I have so much limited time, it's one of those things where it's like it doesn't speak to me enough that I want to play no, it. No, not at all. Anyways. If I had a Wii U, I would play it because really? I, I do enjoy the Dynasty Warriors games. So you're giving me a Dynasty Warrior game where I get to play as Ganondorf or you know, Gorons or you know, any of these iconic Zelda characters. I, I would be all in on it. Okay, cool. Then they went on to talk about Xenoblade's Chronicles X. This looks freaking awesome. This is two years since they've left Earth. The The past is catching up to them, they were saying, and they crash on a nearby planet. Apparently, you're doing a lot of running around until you get your little go-kart thing there. But, I mean, all kinds of different landscapes from ice to molten lava. You've got freaking killer flower things. You've got mech involvement, too. you got, like, mech transportation and different things obviously they're swimming in the game there's apparently jumping off big cliffs there's there's a lot of cool stuff it it visually looked amazing story-wise i don't know if it's just going to fall on a whole bunch of cliches of that type of sci-fi story or if it's going to have some original story but man it sure got me interested i know so many people that said the original xenoblade was the best jrpg they've played in ages and, you know, those are people whose views tend to align with my own. It's not just random people. So, like, that's that's why I'm buying the new 3DS is so I can play the original Xenoblade because I never played it on the Wii. And oh, you are in for a treat. Yeah, and that might be the game that sells me on a Wii U. Cool. Uh, from there, they went on to Mario versus Donkey Kong, Tipping Stars, which, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Whatever. Uh, Bandai talked about a four-player co-op that they're making exclusively for the Wii U, but they really didn't give a lot about it. Codename Project Treasure. I, again, not much there to talk about. They did talk... Anti Namco talks about a lot of games that never come out. Yeah. From there, we got some indie games like Elliot Quest, which looked to be an interesting 8-bit platformer kind of thing. Uh, Black, which was a not puzzler kind of thing, drawing with lines. Citizens Earth, which was that retro-style... JRPG, where you're the vice president of Earth. <laughs> I don't know if I would ever play it, but I liked the idea of it. It was kind of cool. Uh, Gunman Clive, don't really care about that. Moon Chronicles, I don't know if you played the first one. This 
other episodes are coming out, I frankly no don't care. Nope. Sega 3D Classics, been there, done that. No thanks. I already own all of those games, like seven other formats. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Etrian Mystery Dungeon, which is the crossover with Etrian Odyssey and Mystery Dungeon from Atlas, looked like it might actually be interesting. I. I really enjoyed Etrian Odyssey 4, and I'm currently playing Persona Q, which is basically an Etrian Odyssey game set in the Persona universe. Now, what I've seen of the gameplay of Mystery Dungeon, it's it, it's vastly different. It's using more of the Mystery Dungeon-style gameplay, but I, they make good games, so I'm at least going to check it out. Yeah, it does look interesting. Um, Story of Seasons. When it first started, the, the little trailer for it, I was going, wow, that looks kind of cool. And then I was like, ah, it's a freaking farming and life sim thing. And I was like, all right, well. Not so much for me. The Fossil Fighter Frontiers <laughs> for the 3DS. I was like, oh, this is stupid. And then it was like, you revive fossils and fight them like Pokemon. I was going, I think I would try that. <laughs> <laughs> and then Roger was hooked. I think that that might be pretty cool. If anybody knows fossils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reggie came on and talked about the new 3DS. And this is, I mean, we're constantly getting new 3DSs, same as the new, you know, they, it's, it, there's always going to be the changes. This is the, the the new one, but it's the XL that they were touting. And it's got a faster processor. That's actually fairly important. So your games are starting faster, running smoother and all that. And then it has this face tracking 3D so that you don't have to hold it exactly at the right spot, never moving your arms. Otherwise, your eyes are going to bleed from their sockets. And and like most people, like Vince was saying, like my son never plays with 3D because it's just so cumbersome and it's so hard on the eyes and it's you can't move and it has to be in that sweet spot all the time. So for those reasons alone, plus the fact that it is the bigger screen, which I do like, um, I actually... This might be the one that I actually consider picking up. One of the things that interested me about it, and I don't know if it's not even a gameplay thing, but did you see it's not going to come with a charger? Yeah, they made a huge deal. Oh, my God. Well, not Nintendo, but everybody else made a huge deal about that. Well, I mean, like four of those things laying around. I'm okay. But a lot of people, the people who trade in game systems tend to not have them. And Mm -hmm. if you go for the, it's, I'm wondering if it is a shot at the used market so i don't speak, think because it's a shot i think it's a here, money here's the thing they, they claim that the cost of the ac adapter will be taken out of the cost of the new 3ds so if theoretically if you need to buy an ac adapter with the 3ds it would be the same cost as if they had just bundled them together no theoretically no no no, no, no. what they're but saying I, is I that, they're, that they're keeping the price the same not more by not including it, which means if they did include it, it would be more than the regular 3D. Right. You know See, what I'm saying. But for, but and then but that that's the point that I was trying to make is like for trading in your old 3DS. If you don't have the charger with you and you go to a place like GameStop to trade it in, to maybe try to go buy the new 3DS, they knock off what your trading value is by almost fifty percent. See, for me, it's more than that. For me, what it is is that yes, we have a bunch of the Nintendo consoles kicking around the freaking house. They're, they're, we've got the DS, the DS lights, we've got the DS XL. We've got, my son has the 3DS. Yes, they're everywhere. However, the A, they don't all use the same connector, but I tend to leave the connector. I'll put one in the living room. I'll put one in the office kind of thing. That way I'm not moving a, a, a charger with me wherever I go. Just if one I'm waiting for at, you. Yeah. I sit on the couch. There's one right there. I just plug it in. That's 
what ticks me off about this because like again my son has the charger for his that he has to bring back and forth between his room and when he's sitting down in the living room watching tv with us playing super smash bros he has to bring it down and and plug it in kind of thing so it would be nice to have that extra charger just sitting around so that you can use it so for me it's a money it's definitely a money grab whatever i don't care but either you thinking of upgrading by picking up one of the the new ones when xenoblade Mm. comes out absolutely yeah possibly Okay. Uh, next, they moved on to Abraham Lincoln versus Aliens. Codename Steam. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the side deserves an explanation. Go ahead, Joe. I'm kind of tired of the Abraham Lincoln versus Vampire Hunter, then Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies, then Abraham Lincoln versus XYZ. Let Abe rest, man. Come on. Your people think that he's one hell of a tough dude. Apparently. Yeah, where's our Teddy Roosevelt game? Our, yeah, Teddy Roosevelt and Andrew Jackson. Let's go. Let's go that route. <laughs> I think it's a cool little concept. Abraham Lincoln, notwithstanding, um, integrating the Fire Emblem characters doesn't quite fit. But who cares? If you've got the Amiibo, you got a cool little thing that you can do with it. Personally, I wouldn't be picking up this game unless it was spectacular. If they got really great reviews, it's not really something that I would pick up, but it's got some interesting elements to it. I'm going to give this one a nope check tester. Uh, Ace combat assault, pretty interesting dog fighting game. If you're into those, you still see that type of game is more for a PC or a console that has really mm-hmm. strong processors so that it looks spectacular. You're still seeing a lot of pixelation, even with the, the stronger processor from the new 3ds XL. But I mean, Hey, if you want something on the, on the go, there you go. And then they touched on Xenoblade Chronicles for the new 3DS. So this is the one that's going to get you to buy the new 3DS, you were saying? Yeah. I, I, it's one of those gaming regrets. Like Xenoblade and The Last Story are just two games that are like hanging over my head because I've never played them. So I'm, I'm really hoping we get a Last Story port as well. Yeah. That would be sure cool. we will, honestly. Uh, they talked about a new shooter, indie team, of three freaking devs, Ironfall Invasion. I thought it was impressive just that it was three guys working on this. So, again, probably not a game that I'm going to play, though, sadly. And then they talked about Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. I don't know how well Monster Hunter plays on 3DS versus what it played on on Wii U. Because I remember I was talking about it. I tried the demo on 3DS because I've tried about seven different Monster Hunter games. I've never liked one of them. But I keep going back to the demos. Like, maybe this will be the one. Because it's hugely popular for some reason. So I played the demo on the 3DS. And it played like shit. Because you had to use the touchpad to control the camera. It it was an absolute mess. Now we have the new little stick thing on the new 3DS. So maybe that will help. But it's still not going to change the fact that it's a Monster Hunter game. Yeah. I was excited for the Wii U one, and I was set to buy it day one. And then they released a demo, and I tried it. And thank God they did, because it was crap, and I didn't buy it. So I saved myself some money. But, man, I wanted to like this and play and have fun. Now, that being said, regardless of all that, they are releasing as part of a bundle, sadly exclusive to GameStop in the States, the coolest freaking 3DS XL new one that looks like it's stainless, brushed stainless steel. It is sick. It is 
absolutely gorgeous, and I want one. <laughs> I don't care if it's Monster Hunter. I'll put a little sticker over the Monster Hunter logo and have something else because the rest of it looks gorgeous. And another one that they're releasing is the Majora's Mask. But don't even think about buying it because yeah, it's already sold late. out. It sold out almost immediately. That said, I actually didn't think that it looked really that spectacular, really. Considering what they could have done with the artwork from the game, I was fairly unimpressed with the look of it myself. I tend to agree, actually. It could have been much more visually interesting. Yeah. And also not go with the same colors as they used for the other one. Yeah. I mean, go for something. That, that mask is bright. Go for something bright that sticks out that looks great. So that basically wrapped it up. Was there anything in all of this that really stood out that it was, I am buying a this because of this or a I have to have this game? Joe? Nope. Vince? Uh, for, for me, the Xenoblade stuff, but I also already knew about that. So it wasn't the, necessarily this presentation that sold me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, there are a few things that really have me interested. I do want that, that Xenoblade for Wii U. That will be a lot of fun to play. And if I do pick up a 3DS, uh, the new one, the XL, which I'm, I am strongly considering, we'll see. Uh, sorry, quick aside. God damn it, Nintendo. I've complained about this every time Nintendo launches a new piece of hardware, but they do not understand how stupid people are when they try to buy these things in stores. <laughs> name it something fucking different. <laughs> that seems like retail heat right there. Oh. <laughs> you on. should hear him go on about Marvel's naming for their comic books. It doesn't help. Did you see? All right, we're going on a tangent here. Did you see Marvel's goofed up tweet on Friday? We're not talking they, about they announced the new Avengers series, and it, they're, I don't know if it's a promotional thing or if the actual title. They're calling it "All New, All Different Avengers." But what? in the in the most Marvel thing possible, they fucked up the tweet, and the tweet announced it as the "All New, All New Avengers." <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Okay. Go ahead, finish the show. You now. feel better? I feel a lot better. All right, good. Now shut up. Joe, you've got your feature on the binding of Isaac and the rebirth of Isaac. Tell us about these games. Binding of Isaac Rebirth is a remake of the original Binding of Isaac. It's an action adventure roguelike dungeon crawl and twin stick shooter. It's quite a mouthful, but you'll understand in a little bit. The levels are procedurally generated and have an identifier called a seed, which is associated with each new game. Seeds can be shared between players so that other players can play along with you. Rebirth also adds a local co-op so that two players can play together to attempt to reach victory. It has a drop-in, drop-out playstyle so that you're not locked in with playing with two people. Somebody can come in, sit down with you, start the game, and then go away if they feel the need to. Because it's a twin-stick shooter, player movement is independent of the direction in which the characters fire their tiers, or missiles. So you can move your character while firing behind you, to the side, strafing, any way you want to go. And as players traverse deeper and deeper into the dungeon until they finally defeat the final boss, the game ramps up the difficulty. The game features almost 400 unique items which can combine for different synergies and effects and form the core replay value of the game. Items are unlocked via achievements and victories depending on the character you are playing as. 
At first, the story of the game seems like it's a light and looks like a classic child versus monster game. But as you dive a little bit deeper, you realize that the game has a much more robust and darker theme. Now, from this point on, there will be some spoilers and speculation, and there may also be some trigger warnings ahead. So be aware. Now, bear in mind that the concept of the game presents can be rather complicated, and even now I am still discovering more of it. The story is related to the players via vignettes at the beginning and in between levels. Players control a crying naked child named Isaac, or one of several other unlockable characters. After his mother receives a message from God demanding the life of her son as proof of her faith, Isaac flees into the monster-filled basement of their home. The theme of religion will be seen throughout the game as the framework with which the story is presented. He escapes his mom by basically going into his toy chest in his bedroom. On your first playthrough, your goal is simple. Defeat mom. She is, after all, trying to kill you. After doing so, you unlock further levels until you unlock the chest and the dark room. Each item and level unlock, and each ending, the story warps further and further. Eventually, you are no longer fighting Mom. You are fighting either the angelic version of yourself or Satan, and ultimately either a blue baby or the lamb. Even the base enemies you face have some odd quirks. Bosses and base enemies look kind of like you. Spiders have your face... Ooze and bomb creatures look like dead versions of you. And at first this may be confusing. Why are you fighting yourself? And then essentially, what is a blue version of yourself doing here? Why is one of your paths Satan and a demonic child? Items begin to fill the gaps. And you see that this isn't a Bible story at all, but a story about depression, abortion, suicide, and self-loathing. The item Fate gives you angelic wings. Its item icon is that of a blue head looking as if it's been drowned. Items like the coat hanger and mom's bottle of pills have obvious iconography associated with them. Each item, each boss, is a further unlock in the mystery of what the real story is. You realize that Isaac is suffering from extreme depression born from guilt. Isaac's sister, Maggie, has died, though we don't know how she died. He feels guilty for having survived. His mother is going a little bit insane, and his father has left due to his mother's instability. We see that she's been dressing Isaac up as his dead sister. The first item you lock is Maggie's wig, and several other items point to this. Mom's panties, heels, lipsticks, and other traditionally feminine products are items you can obtain. It's a sad theme when you really realize what it's about. As you continue to beat and unlock the game and get further endings and vignettes, you are led to believe that Isaac is the cause of Maggie's death and is fighting his guilt and depression. After defeating Mom's heart, you are given a choice, up for the first time in the game, through a light to the cathedral, or down to Shoal or Hell. From here, the two paths you can choose dictate Isaac's ultimate fate. Isaac fighting himself in the cathedral is fighting his guilt. After you choose to confront Blue Baby, you are confronting your own desire to kill yourself for what you have done. By defeating Blue Baby, you choose to live with what you've done. If you go to hell and face Satan, and then the dark room to confront the Lamb, you are accepting your fate of death and suicide by destroying your evil and sin. Each character or costume unlock also tells a bit of this story. Cain, an unlockable character, the sibling killer. Sister Maggie, the faithful. Azazel, the demon. Samson, the rage-filled. Eve, the whore and sinner. Judas, the betrayer. And ultimately, Blue Baby himself. 
Now, again, this is a lot of speculation and theory based on the items that are unlocked and combined with observations of bosses and the vignettes and characters and story snippets. Nothing is spelled out for you in this game. It is a complicated weave of ever-unfolding story and symbolism. That makes the game infinitely replayable, and 60 hours in, I'm still discovering new secrets, new items, and new story snippets. Every single day, making new connections. The game is also very disturbing, so if any of those themes are something that you don't want to have in your life, stay away. But if you want to see what a twisted, warped world can be in a game that is addicting and tight gameplay with infinite replayability, then Binding of Isaac Rebirth is for you. And that is going to wrap it up for this week. I'd like to thank everybody who dropped by live and watched us in our live broadcast. Make sure to come by next week. We're on every week broadcasting at forthelore.com slash live. And we start at 7 p.m., although we start a little earlier with the pre-show when things are working. <laughs> and that is 7 p.m. Eastern time. You can find this at forthelore.com. The show notes are there. Leave us your comments if you'd like. And on Twitter, at forthelore, or individually, Joe at LoaderZJ, Vince at Simodian, and myself at Zen Buddhist. And like I said, leave us some comments also on Stitcher and iTunes. We do appreciate it. And be sure to join us next week. Thanks for listening. It's giving me an internal server error, 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 and it's not letting me do this. Well, what the, how the, how, what do I do? I mean, it's always something with this podcast. It's not like you're not letting me in on Twitch anymore. Oh god, I swear. <laughs> Doesn't look like there is a fix. It looks like it just kind of fixes itself and then people stop bitching. <laughs> no, that's not possible. <laughs> that's not how technology works. I didn't know we had self-repairing AIs yet. saying I know they're having problems. Oh yeah. There's no there's no question about it. Dan and Mocha are sitting there like, yep. Well we're not late. (laughs) 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 I had two minutes to keep going with this bullshit before we were not even officially late, just one fashionably late. Too late. Oh my god, dog, seriously, was that you get the Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger. 
as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.